1: KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX.
0: I willfully will talk to you. I cannot. I have had trouble all morning with the word willful. 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 Want to play some wolfle ball? (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
2: I see you have your PGA hat on. I do. Now, did you get another color? Because you have that gray on. No, I
0: have this, and I have a shirt that kind of matches it.
2: What would you bring Greg and I?
0: Um, souvenirs good, good stories stories i'll tell you stories we
2: want some souvenirs man well
0: i'm sorry you got a tea I, you know, for
2: us or anything i was or golf hoping to get sign? hit by a
0: ball and get a free autograph glove but, but that didn't happen so you no, didn't uh, bring us anything i didn't bring you just memories i can tell you all kinds of great stories so sna- yeah well great yeah so it was enjoyable it was wonderful wonderful great people there all the way around from the volunteers to the the fans were awesome and it was just it was a great time except
2: the parking scenario was a little weird
0: well you only had one exit which is just the way belle reeve is i don't know where you would put the another exit that all those buses could use but they had 200 buses the day on friday when it rained when we left there were buses lined up all the way from Belle Reve all the way to 141 down Ladue Road. Whoa! All the way, and so I mean, yeah, it was crowded leaving, and that was that was kind of a pain. But I don't know what else you could do. So what kind of you know? buses were these? School buses? Oh no, they were nice coaches like whoa that teams travel on that if you take a tour those kind of and they must have whoa. been I saw a license plates on them from Pennsylvania. So it must have been like every bus in the Midwest almost. (laughs) And uh, so, I mean, yeah, it was crowded leaving. It was crowded there. But that's what happens when they have a big event like that. Right. Right.
2: Sounds like you had fun. It was great. Well, thanks for sharing. My pleasure. Any more (laughs) memories, uh,
0: stories, I'll tell you. Great. Okay.
2: Folks, thanks and welcome for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly. Call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. On Saturday mornings, we get together to discuss your yard, your landscape, garden, house plants, potting mixes, uh, soil improvement, pruning, bugs, diseases, plant removal, plant installation. Remember my words, open opportunities. After that, it's going to take physical and mental effort on your part to make it a continuing race in this marathon. So uh, Greg's producing again today. Thanks to him. I greatly appreciate it. He always keeps me from stumbling, or if I do stumble, he helps me quickly recover. I'm Mike Miller, by the way. I've been doing the Garden Hotline since 1994. I've written five gardening books. Two are currently available in various locations. And I write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine. I just submitted my article for the November-December issue of this year. So during the week... I do landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. If you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk, or you'd like to give a gift certificate for a walk and talk, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage, there's my email address and phone number where I can be reached. And today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Well, I was heading north on 55. I wasn't exactly sure where I wanted to go. But I'll tell you, this morning, I, let's see, what time was it? Probably between 6.15 and 6.30. The clouds were covering the sun just enough so it made it a, the sun look like a perfect yellow-orange ball. I mean, it wasn't glaring enough that I had to wear, you know, put the visor down or sunglasses or anything. It was just fantastic. So I decided to exit on Broadway. Hmm, And uh, I saw, oh, there's a little bitty park there. And what it is, is it's part of Anheuser-Busch. So it was kind of where they put all their trailers. It's at the intersection of Broadway and Cave Street. I think Cave is where Anheuser-Busch or whoever, way back when, used to put their beer to keep it cool. So a chorus of a million crickets were chirping. They were on the hillside of Highway 55. And a sign reads, Anheuser-Busch property, no trespassing. Do-do, do-do. I didn't know if they would come out and get me if I did. So I did do a little trespassing, I'm sorry. But they have bald cypress as street trees there. The lawn has been recently mowed, and uh, oh, the crab apple grove that's in this little park space. Hmm, it's seen better days. There are bald cypress knees invading that space, and that's probably had an impact on the crab apple's ability to keep doing what it's supposed to do as well as as it possibly can. What is a bald cypress knee? Well, that's the roots. When they're growing in a swampy area, they push these roots up above this water surface, and that's how they get oxygen so they can survive. There's a utility box or electric box or something sitting in the middle of this green space. Hmm, I wonder what that's for. I don't know. I have no idea. But uh, there's a trio of benches facing south, offering a respite for anyone. Other trees in the space include Austrian pines, ginkgo trees. There's a grove of about six or seven ginkgo trees. And underneath the ginkgo trees, a fantastic carpeted area of wild strawberries. And along the 7th Street side, which is on the west side of this park, I guess park or green space, they bred for Pears. That's the street trees there. There's also some viburnums, some miscanthus, some Norway spruce, which soften the parking lot fencing. A few yews with some green moss growing underneath them. And across 7th Street, right from where I was, the South Broadway Athletic Club Gymnasium reminds this, obviously not being used for a long, long time, Reminds from uh, times long ago. Ah, the clock is ticking. Time for me to go. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
1: KMOX is the weather station. Get the forecast here every 10 minutes, mornings, and afternoons with weather bulletins at once. On the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks, is summer over yet? I don't know. It's still pretty darn hot. But uh, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We're going to start off in Coeur and go into Sally's yard. Hi, Sally.
3: Hey, good morning, Mike. How Hi. are you? Very good. <laughs> My dog is fine. <laughs> Um, I, uh, I'm looking for, uh, some recommendation. I have three pin oaks that border the back of my yard behind the pin oaks about probably 10 feet, um, is a six foot privacy fence. And beyond the privacy fence is my neighbor's yard. What I'm looking for, uh, is a tree or shrub that grows about, maximum 15 feet, to block or screen the view into my neighbor's yard. It has to be able to grow under the canopy of these three oak trees, and it has to have um, a nice canopy that grows kind of um, horizontal so that it will fill in that space.
2: Um. How old are these trees, your pen oak trees? How big are
3: they? Uh, well, they're varying ages. One is <clears throat> over 50, 55 years old. Yikes. And the, the, um, the other two are probably less than 40 years old. But they're very healthy. I, I don't. Yeah, want
2: to, no. I'm no. just asking because the, the, that means there's a substantial amount of root systems underneath the soil. So anything that you put there is going to have a really, really difficult time to get established because of the, you know, the existing pin oak trees. I see. Now, can you sacrifice some of your yard coming out, not going between the pin oaks and the fence?
3: Um. I'm not sure I understand your question. So
2: what are, you, are you talking about planting in between the pin oaks? Or are you talking planting between the pin oaks and the privacy fence?
3: Yeah, uh, a little of both. The space that I would like to fill <clears throat> certainly is between where the pin oaks grow, but behind it, closer to the fence.
2: Yeah, I was asking if you could plant in front of the pin oaks because that might be a better opportunity for getting something established, but that's going to sacrifice some of your yard if you did that.
3: Yeah, that that wouldn't be a good uh plan. To okay. Plant it in front. It it would need to be between the pin oak and the fence.
2: Well, okay. So you cannot just plan on routinely every 10 feet putting something in or what, you know, measure wise, because of the root systems of these pin oak trees. I see. So, probably, uh, you, and I'm assuming that you don't necessarily need something that's evergreen.
3: No, no, okay. it doesn't have to be evergreen. It doesn't have to be flowering. Uh, it just has to have a canopy that will screen the view from my yard into my neighbor's yard.
2: Base, probably what I would look at is there's a native tree called service berry.
3: Serviceberry. Okay,
2: it, it flowers in the springtime before the dogwoods. It's pretty tough. It's pretty durable, but I would recommend that as opposed to anything else that I could possibly think of that we could handle. You know the situation with these pin oak trees.
3: Okay, and that is a tree, correct? Yes.
2: What you need, I I would give you the but the genus. But uh, you have a pencil. Yes. A m e l a n C-H-I-E-R, amelanchier, that's the genus, and you want the variety that's called arborea, A-R-B-O-R-E-A. So that means arborea means tree, serviceberry tree type.
3: Okay, and that, that can be found uh, at nurseries around town?
2: Yes, it's a native to Missouri tree. <clears throat> Great. So give and, it a, you know, give it a try. I wouldn't and cuz you want it to look somewhat natural, don't put all the same sizes in. Mix the sizes and everything else. And I wouldn't buy a whole bunch of them at once. I would try one or two and see how they do and then maybe add every year, you know, a couple more.
3: And and are these fairly fast growing or not?
2: Well, I mean they're native, so no, they're not necessarily going to be fast growing.
3: Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate that suggestion. Thank you so much.
2: Yep. Good luck. And now let's go from Court to Baldwin and to Nancy's yard. Hi, Nancy.
4: Hi, Mike. I have a question about some weeds. They are prevalent all over the front yard, and they look like small clover with a little bend in the middle of each of the leaves, and they have real stickery um, uh, root or um, stems that go into the ground. When you pull them out, they're really tough, little stickery kind of Roots or whatever I can say.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so what are you trying to do, get rid of them? Oh, I'm assuming, yeah.
4: They're just tinkers.
2: Yeah, i probably take a look at, you know, some kind of broadleaf weed killer. And if you're going to do that, you're going to have to get it on there pretty darn quick. And the thing is, if you're going to put this on to try to kill these weeds, in essence, you cannot put any new grass seed down. Because right. even though it's a broadleaf weed killer, it can impact newly germinated seed.
4: Right. Okay, that sounds good.
2: So like a weed-be-gone or something like that, experiment with it. Don't get a huge amount, you know, don't get like four gallons of it or anything like that. Get a small <laughs> amount and try it on one like three-by-three-by-three-foot area and see how effective it is as far as, you know, getting this stuff under control and how fast.
4: Okay, do you have any idea what it's called? It looks like a mini clover, kind of.
2: Well, I mean, it could be black medic. There's a couple different things. It's, you know, it's a little difficult, to you know, from your description, it's stickery It is this. no it's you know but i mean there's a there's a couple different things so just
4: i don't know if it helps any but it's very close to the ground very short right and just took over after the rain my goodness sakes okay well i'll give that a try i appreciate you yeah
2: (laughs) good luck thank you (laughs) yes and now let's go stay in west county and uh Go over to Ann yard. Hi, Ann.
5: Hi, Mike. I have an area of ivy I'm pulling up, and I want to plant grass seed there. I'm working on pulling up the ivy, but I went to St. Louis Composting, and got some compost, and I'm going to use a rototiller to work up that ground. Should I put the compost down next? And the next question is, and can I plant grass seed there in the fall?
2: Basically, it's made, how long established was this ivy?
5: It's been in there about twenty years.
2: Okay, so it's you're not going to get rid of it in one one pull, one anything. So unless well, you just you're going to have kind of a somewhat of a nightmare because it sounds like you really want to get stuff done quick to get this thing taken care of, but if you could be patient and go ahead, you could rotor till it up and everything else. Don't put the compost down, but just watch, you know, for the for, really for this fall almost and okay. see how much more ivy keeps coming up. And get either okay. pull that stuff out or get it under control with an herbicide, and maybe plan on doing the grass seeding, um,
5: in
0: the yeah, in May.
5: Okay. When I hang up, would you mind running through the best time of the year to thatch and the best time of the year to core aerate?
2: Okay. What what kind of lawn do you have?
5: Um, part of it's zoysia and part of it's I don't know what I don't know <laughs> just grass. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm, okay. Part, a great amount of it is
2: zoysia. Okay, so okay, but not all of it is. Yeah, the zoysia you want to do the core aeration and dethatching, basically in the early spring as soon as it starts, let's say greening up. You don't want to do them both in the same year, though. Okay. So one year you can do the dethatching, and then the next year do the core aeration and put some compost, like a half inch of compost down right after your core aerate. But that's okay. got to be. Or, you know, when it starts greening, it's hard to put a calendar date on that. This year it greened up a little bit early. Some years it's a little bit later. So just watch and when you start seeing some green sprigs in your zoysia. That's when you want to do this physical stuff.
5: Okay, When it begins to green. Okay, what about if it's just fescue or that kind of thing?
2: It's a, basically the opposite. You want to do it in the fall. That's the best time to do it. Fescue, bluegrass. So either one, the dethatching and or you know, the correlation.
5: Okay. Thank you very
3: much. I appreciate it.
2: Certainly. Let's go now to Ladue and to Pete Yard. Hi, Pete.
6: Hey, good, <clears throat> good morning, Mike. Hi. Hey, um, so quick follow up on the Ivy question. I've got an area that I'm trying to reclaim uh, and put uh, some flowers and whatnot. And I have a bunch of Ivy there that I've sprayed with a herbicide and Uh, that ivy seems to be pretty tough because it's showing signs of life. Yes. That's something you think I need to nail multiple times.
2: Yeah, and I would, you know, if you can, I don't know if you cut your own grass or whoever does, before you put another herbicide down on top of it, I would mow it and really chop it up really well because, and then put the herbicide down right after you mow because you've opened up all kinds of wounds. That lets the herbicide get absorbed in much quicker and much better because this time of year... As I you know I've said every week for the last couple of weeks, the f- plants are developing a waxy cuticle. They did that a while ago because it was so hot and dry, and that helps them from dehydrating so much the foliage, so the ivy has it as well, so consequently, the herbicide may not be as effectively absorbed, so it's this is not the ideal time to be doing this, but it's a time that you chose to do it
6: okay real real quick one. Um, I also have some day lilies that don't seem to be. Uh, bothered at all by this herbicide? Are, do they have a particularly? Uh, and I and I did break them up a little bit, like you suggested when I sprayed them, but they seem to be coming right back. Very resilient plants.
2: So what herbicide are you using? Are you using like a broadleaf weed killer?
6: No, I'm using. Um, uh, it's it's a spectrocide product, but it's it's supposed to be killing all. Uh, all plant matter.
2: So, yeah, why it's not getting the daylilies, I don't know, unless you're just not getting enough on in the daylilies. Or okay. also the daylilies, the foliage is probably headed towards dormancy, so again, they're not absor- absorbing as much, so that might be the part of the factor as well.
6: Okay, can I ask one real quick question, which is actually my original question on the um I've got a lineup of them, and I need to move them. I uh, won't worry with the details. Uh, What's the life expectancy of transferred arborvitae?
2: (laughs) All depends on who's doing it, how big they are, and everything else. You have to have a substantial root ball, or else I wouldn't bother, you know, doing it. I would say leave them and just get some new ones.
6: Okay, because I've got seven of them side by side; they're they're touching each other. So, like, I probably would
2: pull out every other one or something.
6: Oh, okay. I hadn't thought about that. All right. Thank you very much, Mike. Appreciate it.
2: Good luck. And let's see if we can get another question before break. Virginia is in Kirkwood. Hi, Virginia.
7: Hi, Mike. I have had a Bradford pear removed from the end of our driveway. And there's kind of a, um, the the ground goes down from that point. So the Bradford pear roots were showing on that, on the hillside. Mm -hmm. Um, My problem is that trying to get grass to grow in that area is, terrible. Right. It's, the weeds are growing wonderfully well. It, what can I do? Any suggestions on that?
2: Basically, the root system, even if the stump was ground out for your Bradford pear or any tree, the root systems will stay viable for several years after it's been beheaded. So, during that time that it, you know the root system is still viable, it's going to be absorbing nutrients and moisture, oh. and it's going to be competing with anything that you put there. But the weeds I are tough enough problem. to be able to, you know... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not every weed can grow there. Only certain weeds can grow in that circumstance. So I had
7: thought of the roots still being alive. So so it's the same problem as trying to grow grass under a tree.
2: Exactly. Okay. And then slowly but surely, the roots will start imploding. And depending upon how healthy the tree was and everything else, any place between three to four to five years before the roots enti- entirely implode.
7: Oh, what a pain in the neck. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You answered my question. Thanks
2: much. Certainly. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
1: This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX.
2: Excuse me while I eat one of my mistakes. (coughs) Apparently, last week, I made a mistake. I can't believe it, but I did. Lawn doctor, I gave the wrong phone number out. So if you want to contact lawn doctor, go to lawndoctor.com. Forget the phone numbers that I'm saying, lawndoctor.com. That's the best way to go about it. Boy, oh boy, I hate to eat my mistakes. All right, let's go back to the phones. Bob from Baldwin, how are you?
8: Good, Mike. How are you doing? Very good. Listen, uh, we have a question uh, about what to plant in an area that is that drains but is very wet, it's, well, not necessarily now, but in the spring and when there's a lot of rain. Um, it, there are two big, uh, a series of arpovites on each side, but a couple of them died because I think they were planted too low, and we wanted to fill that void in with maybe something uh, like crepe myrtle or whatever to give some color, but it is uh, an area uh, very prone to wetness.
2: Basically, crepe myrtle won't survive. Okay, too wet. So okay. even if it's just wet in the spring or whatever, you know, it's just gonna it's gonna drown them. So okay, that, that's not possible. Uh, there okay. is maybe. Are you looking shrub wise? I'm assuming because you mentioned crepe myrtle, not
1: trees. Yeah.
8: Uh- well, we were thinking something with some color, you okay. know, to add to the. Uh, there's a very nice barrier of 14 to 16 feet um, arborvitae there. So, uh, but just as I say, two of them died in the center. Right. And we were just wanted something that, you know, that would maybe add color, blooms, late bloom sometime in the summer. Okay. I don't know.
2: Well, let me tell you uh, there's a variety, it's a shrub type dogwood. So it's not a tree dogwood. It's called red twig dogwood. Okay. So, so the branches are red in the wintertime after the foliage falls off. And what I would do is get the one with a variegated leaf. So the leaves are basically, from a distance, look white. So all summer long, it's just going to look like a white flowering shrub. Then when the leaves fall off in the fall, then you're just going to see red twigs for the wintertime.
8: Okay. Okay. Um. And do they, when they, as they start maturing, what's the diameter, what's the growth?
2: Uh? Uh, depends upon the variety. If you get Ashante, I-S-A-N-T-I, that's more of a dwarf one. If you get the standard one, you're probably looking at something maybe uh, six to eight feet wide, but it's going to take it several years to get there. And uh, the other one, the if which is a smaller one, is going to be about, let's say, four to five feet wide. And probably maximum height, you're looking at maybe six-plus feet.
8: Okay. Would you please spell that one again, the dwarf one?
2: I-S-A-N-T-I. Now, not necessarily every nursery is going to have that particular variety, but just look at red twig dogwoods with a variegated leaf online and you know, just write down a couple different names because the garden centers, you know, they don't necessarily always have the same one because there's multiple types.
8: I understand, and and uh, then the problem—not not a problem. Life is filled with opportunities. Uh, we are also blessed with the deer issue. Did, will they like the uh, red twig dogwood or not?
2: Uh, probably no more than anything else. If your arborvitae, because a lot of times arborvitae get munched up.
8: Well, I don't didn't use the right term with that. This was something special that was planted. They're giants, and they have done real well. So, yeah, uh, They you're not. They have not been bothered by the deer. to deer do not like them, nor does snow or ice. But uh, any, anyway, uh, in other words, the red twig's not going to be bothered any more than anything else. Right, exactly. Any other options for that area? I not? mean, when
2: it's wet like that, you know, there's a sweet bay magnolia, but that's going to be about a 10 to 15 foot high magnolia tree that can take wet soil.
8: Yeah, that's that's too high. So right. your best, your your top choice would be the red twig dogwood. Right. Okay. Thanks a million, Mike.
2: All right. Good luck. And now let's go westward to Wentzville into Craig's yard. Hi, Craig. Hi,
8: hey, Mike. Um, how do we? Uh, when's a good time to trim back burning bushes, and how aggressive can you get with them?
2: Uh, you never. You know, personally, I say never cut off more than twenty to twenty-five percent of anything.
9: Okay. Because
2: and I would wait because you're growing them so you can see the red leaves in the fall. I'd wait until yeah, right. the leaves have turned red and the leaves start falling off. Prune it at that time, or you can wait until spring before the new growth begins and then prune them at that. Prune them in the spring.
8: Okay, great. And also, uh, my irises the last couple of years uh, haven't been getting a lot of flowers. Do I need to
10: thin those out?
2: You can thin them, but any of the clumps, the bunches of leaves that don't have a flower stalk, in other words, that didn't flower this year, just throw them away.
11: Oh, okay. Because okay, they're just gotcha.
2: old. Now, people want to argue with me about that, but because just some of the varieties just kind of poop out after a you know, certain amount yeah. of age.
8: And they're pretty old, I guess, because they've been with the house for a long time. So. Oh, okay. Okay, so if, if, they're not, if they're not doing any good, just get rid of them. Right. Okay.
2: All right, sir. Thank you. Yep, and you can always buy some tubers, some new ones, you know, at your favorite yeah. garden center.
8: And put those in, I put those in the fall then, right? Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Thank you.
2: Yep. And now let's go to Millie. Wow, first time in Illinois over to Collinsville. Hi, Millie.
12: Hi, Mike. I need to know if there's something that will kill wild violets other than digging them.
2: (laughs) They are very, very, very tough. Yeah. So, I mean, you could take... I, I, do you have them in big clumps, you know, like multiples, or are they just kind of sporadically in yeah, your lawn?
12: They're, they're spreading in my lawn mainly from the neighbors. I've tried to keep them out, but it's just almost impossible.
2: Yeah, it's, it's it's a really. I mean, they're just really, really tough. If you can be patient, you can take a chair or a stool out with you, and just step on the violet, each individual one, and then just paint some Roundup right on those leaves that you stepped on. That's probably the best way you're going to go about getting rid of it. Yeah, okay. Because, I mean, I've found personally, even though a lot of the broadleaf weed killers, like WeeBegon and stuff, say they'll kill violets, I don't, you know, i would not seen that happen all that often.
12: Yeah, I've sprayed them sometimes, you know, with the Roundup, but not, you know, crushing the leaves, and it doesn't really help much, but I'll try breaking the leaves and see if that helps. Right. Okay, thanks a lot. Yeah, you're
2: going to have to do it pretty quickly because they're headed towards dormancy, just like any of that kind of stuff.
12: Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah.
2: they do go dormant.
12: Oh, okay. Okay, thanks a lot. Yep. yep.
2: Now, back to Baldwin again and to Jerry's yard. Hi, Jerry.
12: Good morning,
11: Mike. How are you? Good. Um, I called you a couple weeks ago about Edge, and you gave me the answer, and i got to tell you, it worked fabulous. My lawn service tried to do something, and what they put down, I think, made it even grow more. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, I I thank you very much. Now I've got a second invasive problem. Um, What the heck do you do to get rid of honeysuckle? We had bushes that were probably 15 feet tall. They made great cover for deer. The neighborhood cut them down. But now we've got the stumps in the ground and the stuff sprouting up again. Right. What can I do? And and I'm talking about a 100-foot wide yard that has nothing but stumps. And they're probably two to five inches in diameter, out of which I've got new shoots coming up. I know the stumps are going to be tough. I've got to drill them and burn them out and all that stuff. But how do I kill the? How do I get them dormant so I can start to kill the stuff off?
2: Well, basically, how how tall are the stumps that they left?
11: Um, Up to maybe five, four or five inches.
2: So how about so pretty short? Yeah. So in reality probably what you should do is go to your favorite garden center and get Roundup for killing woody plants. It'll say poison ivy killer and woody plant killer. And, you know, just that's, you know, try it in an area, you know, a section at a time and that's going to be the best way because it's systemic. It's going to go down through the stem, leaves that are coming up and then it should kill the entire root system of the uh, of the whole honeysuckle. But this is going to be a long involved process. When I you say you. long,
11: are you talking about years or months or what?
2: Years. <laughs>
11: <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm an old man. Come on, I hope to <laughs> be able to call well,
2: you the, back. The, the best thing to do then is just don't look at them.
11: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you want to buy a house?
2: <laughs>
11: All right, you, you said poison ivy and what wood killer?
2: Yeah, it says it's it's a type of roundup, but it will say poison ivy on the label and yep. woody plant killer. And woody, right?
11: So, Okay. I'll give it a try okay. and maybe I'll call you back before I get too old. <laughs> you know,
2: yeah, because yeah. regular roundup won't kill it. It doesn't kill woody plant materials. If this you know happens. if this the uh, stumps were higher, like four or five feet, I would say cut the you know, cut a half the length of the stump off and paint this roundup right on that stump. But yeah. since they're so short, that's gonna be just too much work.
11: Have a great day.
2: Okay, sorry. And remember, don't look at the honeysuckle.
11: It's awful hard to
2: miss.
11: (laughs) (laughs) Again, thanks for
2: your help. Sure. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
1: Get ready for the Cards and Brewers tonight. Amron Total Access 520, first pitch 615. Hear it here on your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals. KMOX. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks,
2: back to the phones we go, and we're headed to North County and going into Wayne's Yard. Wayne's Yard, Wayne's Yard. Hi, Wayne.
10: Hey, Mike, how are you doing? Very good. I have a question about roses of Sharon again. I've called you about this before on how to trim them is, any time of the year for these type of plants um, able to be trimmed?
2: Well, you, if you prune them in the summer when they're in, you know, sort of in their flowering cycle, you just cut off the buds for potential flowers. So, yes, they can be pruned any time of year, but the best time to prune them is any time after the foliage falls off all the way up until the new foliage starts growing the next year. So you've got about a six-month window of time. So some, let's say sometime between October and March. That's right. going to be the best time to do it.
10: Okay, but the, be- the, the problem is, is that I did that, and I've done that two years in a row, and whenever you start getting the growth and you're in the middle of summer, the plant, after the branches that you have cut, grow new branches, right. which produces more buds, which makes those branches start leaning even worse because you have so many buds per branch that it's just unbelievable. How far back did you cut, um, let's say, an original branch that comes off the trunk of the tree?
2: Well, are these in you full know? sun? Yes. So they're in full sun, because usually you don't get that willowy growth in full sun.
10: Oh, so, they, we get it bad. Yeah. <laughs> really so bad. you're
2: just going to have to maybe, like, look at each individual. I don't know how many you have, but cut, you know, let's say half the branches. Lower than what you would the other half. So cut some of them back the whole, you know, I don't want to say all the way to the ground, but cut them back to, a, you know, a couple of feet, and then see what the growth does from that standpoint. See if you can get these trunks to be a little bit more substantial.
10: Right. The trunk itself is not the problem. It's the branches that are right. coming off the trunk.
2: Right, but um, I'm saying cut back the branches, half the branches back to the trunk, you know, and okay. see, and see what happens as a result of that.
10: Okay, so go back half. Right. Okay, that's that's what kind of what I'm looking for. And that's the reason why I'm asking you about this time of the year, because, like I said, I did it in the winter, uh, and it looked fine. You know, looks like it should be just fine. And come the middle of summer, I was really wrong. That's why I'm thinking about just doing it now to get it to where it should be, I think, with the weight of the buds and everything on it, and see if this works any better, because cutting – Cutting it after all the foliage has fallen off just doesn't seem to be doing the trick. On a couple of them, yes, but on most of them, no.
2: Well, once you prune them, they're not going to push out any new growth on the ones that you pruned. This, you know, this late in the season, they're not going to put out any flower buds. They're probably not going to do anything. I don't even know if right, they're going to put up. I'm
0: out. thinking
10: that I'm thinking that just the shaping of it now with the foliage on it might give me a better idea because in the winter it just apparently it hasn't been working. You okay. Know?
2: Yeah, give it a give it a try and see what happens.
10: Okay, I just want to make sure I'm not going to kill them. No, no, you shouldn't kill them.
2: As long as okay. you know the trunk is healthy, as long as the leaves are full size. The reason why I ask if they're in the sun. There's a, a house down the street from me that has Rosa Sharon growing underneath the shade of a sycamore tree, and they are super willowy, and they're the leaf size is undersized and everything else. But if you got full size leaves and you're lucky enough to have all these flower buds, even if they are heavy then, uh, I mean, that's, that's kind of a good way, but, uh, you want to, you know, kind of get them under, under
8: control.
10: That's what I'm trying to do is get yeah. under control. I mean, they're they're healthy as can be. It's right. just unbelievable. You're lucky. Oh, thank you. <laughs> All right. You have
2: a great day. Yeah. Maybe not lucky. You just have great skill. So thanks. <laughs> Let's have, head over to Columbia, Illinois into Glenn's yard. Hi Glenn.
13: Morning, Mike. Thanks a lot for taking my call. Um, I, I have heard you talk about the ground augers like for uh, for gardens and everything drilling you know four or five six inches down right with my full size uh very very mature pin oaks and my i've got uh, gumballs uh they're they're losing some limbs and some of them are starting to die if i went around putting like four or five holes around a tree this fall once the you know heat lets up and dropped in a, a few uh, pellets like maybe an inch worth of 12 12 12 like a triple 12 would that work on on getting some fertilization into these big, old, uh, mature trees?
2: No. You don't want to put that kind of – you don't want to put fertilizer in like that. You're you're feeding the soil, then the soil will in turn feed your plants, your trees or whatever. So you want to come out half the distance between – the extension of the branches in the trunk, start augering holes all the way around about a foot apart, then go out two feet further all the way around, and each hole backfill with compost. That's the best thing you can possibly do. And uh, older, mature trees are going to have dead branches. There's dead wood. There's no getting around it. There's nothing – and certainly fertilizer like that is not going to do a darn thing, to, you know, as far as helping the health of the tree, especially something like triple 12, which is basically developed – as an agricultural-type fertilizer, a one-season shot-type thing.
13: I see. Okay. All right. To uh, to your lady, uh, just as, as an add-on here, to your lady that was calling a couple of weeks ago, wanting to know where the hummingbirds were, uh, right now I'm sitting on, on a deck talking to you, and we have hummingbird wars. There's four or five of them. I'd <laughs> recommend that she plant some canna bulbs. Right. Because they love those those bright-top red tops, about 30 or 40 feet away from your feeder, because then the girls can get in, and the big uh, ruby throat won't be chasing them away. So, so put some other uh, plants out like uh, that that they enjoy. Like she has a shrimp plant; shrimp they love shrimp plants too.
2: Right, and I, you know, I've got hyacinth bean vines, and that's what they come into my yard. I've got the cannas too. They don't seem to spend as much time around the cannas the red flower cannas as they do around the hyacinth bean vines. So. Yeah. Yeah, So, and also that lady, maybe she should move over to Columbia, Illinois, since you've got <laughs> such a...
13: Thanks for taking my call, Mike. Sure. Appreciate it.
2: And let's see, we probably won't be able to get another call in because we're going to have to take a break. But uh, if you have any questions or concerns or just take a look out your window, maybe something that you haven't, haven't thought of, then you can get your name and where you're calling from. Just call and Greg will answer the phone. So other things that you need to still be doing even though we have had some rains and everything else, thank goodness. But the crabgrass has just exploded. Spurge is everywhere. So weed control, as far as how much you can do, it's going to be pre-emergence next year for when the forsythia is in bloom. That's when you got to get rid of these summertime, the warm season, weeds, spurge, all that other stuff. Like I said, crabgrass, foxtail, and everything else. But this year, the crabgrass, I mean, I went by a yard in my neighborhood, They didn't have any grass at all. All it was was crabgrass. And it was all in flower now, and those sort of scary-looking things coming up are just filled with seeds. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, will be taking your questions after the news.
1: KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: Thank you, Mr. Kelly, for passing the baton for the second hour of the Garden Hotline. I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or one 800 9 2, 5, 11, 20. You can get in line with your questions, comments, or concerns. And thanks for having me on your show. You can call. We can talk about plant selection, annuals, how your annual's doing. As I said before, begonias have been my champion plant for decades. And then this year, I probably lost, uh, I would say, 75% of the ones, you know, or they just were... Dysfunctional, Let's put it that way. But the last 25% looks spectacular like they normally do. So I can't quite figure. And all, they were all kind of in the same you know, planting circumstance. So I don't know what's going on. And you can head to your favorite garden center. They may not have them yet, but soon they're going to be getting the spring flowering bulbs. You can buy them now, but just don't plant them yet because the ground is still too warm. So you can buy them so you can get the best selection of everything that you want. And just hold on to them in a paper bag in a cool location. And that's about all you need to do. How about your ground covers? As a lady was calling about getting rid of ivy and converting it back into lawn. You just have to be patient. If you have a well-established, any type of ground cover, get rid of it entirely before you try to put some grass or anything else in there. Or if you don't, it's just going to haunt you. So, and roses, trees, shrubs, water gardens, vines, whatever. Greg who does a lot of the uh, newsroom type stuff behind the scenes he said his passion flower vine was striking he said he've never he's never seen it with this many flowers on it as they it has this year so that's great so and uh, remember my words comments and opinions not the only garden path to take but strictly offered as an option for you to consider. Greg is producing, so he's the one that answers the phone, and he will take your name and where you're calling from. That's about all you need to do. Then you go onto the computer, and then I look at the screen, and then I take from the top down. During the week, I do landscape consulting, where I call it a walk and talk. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage, you can find my email address or phone number, and you can contact me And we can set up a time where I can come out to your home. Take a look. Problem-solving, aesthetics, or whatever it happens to be. And now, special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me. It's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. And again, these garden clubs and everything else and plant societies, this is just, I mean, it's an ideal way to get yourself immersed into something where you've got people that are in the field doing the work themselves for the most part. I think 90% of them are. And they can give you those little tips. They can make a huge difference on how well and how successful your plant material is going to be. So the main garden club type things, they talk about everything, kind of like the garden hotline does. But then there's individual ones that can talk about, or they focus on, let's say, iris, or they focus on rock gardens, or they focus on roses or that type thing. There are so many plant societies and garden clubs in this region, it's unbelievable. So if you have any interest, you can go To the Missouri Botanical Garden website, that's Mo, M-O-B-O-T, Missouri Botanical Garden, mobot.org, and just look up the Plants Society. It doesn't have all of them by any means, but there is so many. So, I mean, it's a great way, and neat people, too. It's just absolutely fantastic. So, if you have any interest in doing that, that would be absolutely perfect. So, let's go to a phone call and uh, head out to St. Charles in Anthony's yard. Hi, Anthony.
14: Good morning, Mike. Uh, thank you for calling for my call. Sure. Uh, I have a uh, problem with my lawn. Uh, I have the tall fescue lawn. It was beautiful all summer. The heat stress of the of the summer. I have an aeration system that just doesn't cover it to the extent I was watering uh, each uh, zone maybe uh, 18 to 20 minutes a day. Uh, it it just went dormant. You know, lot of lot of area died. And what I would like to know: should I power rake uh, that dead grass out of there before I would uh, aerate it and overseed it, and then put compost on it? What would I? How, what would the procedure do in first, second, or third?
2: Uh, pro- you probably don't necessarily need to power rake it if you you know, because you've had a good lawn. It just got fried. I mean, there's no getting around it. And you know, regardless of the amount of water, how you put it on, or anything else, it can't compensate because of just the heat factor. Because a lot of plant material, people have sent me pictures and everything else. And I've been to people's yards where they you know, they really have been watering and it just hasn't made that much difference because of what the you know what happened. So I would just go ahead and query. And then put the grass seed down, then cover that with the compost. That's probably the recommendation I would make.
14: That's what I believe I've uh, had in mind doing. Great.
2: Great. Perfect. Perfect.
14: Thank you, sir. Yep.
2: yep. Goodbye. See, Anthony didn't even have to call. He already knew what he was going to do. So Michael lives in Baldwin. Hi, Michael.
15: Hi.
14: Good Go morning.
15: Ahead. Great show.
14: Well, thanks. Well,
15: listen, I have two questions for you. Number one, I did it finally this year. I pulled out all of my peonies. I had six bundles of them, maybe a foot by, I don't know, foot in diameter. So I pulled them all out. I dug uh, holes, one foot in diameter, one foot deep, and I filled these holes with uh, uh, the Scotch potting mix and uh, peat moss. and mixed that up, and then I pulled those out. Then I went and bought um, roses, knockout roses, double knockout roses, the one-gallon size. I put those in right up to uh, – I, I put them in there so that the – Top of the uh, rose bush is at the at the level of the ground, and I filled all that back in with the uh, potty mix and all that good stuff. And so these are double knockout roses, red and pink, and I uh, my house faces east, so they get at least uh, six hours of sun. And they're doing just fantastic. And then my question for you is this So before I had the um, uh, Scott's mulch all around the peonies, so I'm wondering if I should pull that out in white stone uh, and I, I use the preen down before that so how do i take care of these so that they uh number one uh, continue to grow and number two do you pull the uh blooms off once they fall off my second question is the knockout roses is, is the main thing but my second question is so I, I also have a japanese maple on one of the house and so it's not doing so well it hasn't been for the last couple of years but i covered it with the preen and i put down the mulch and i'm wondering if that could be a problem so I wonder if you can uh, talk to me about the roses, how to care for them to make sure they grow well, and what do I do about this Japanese maple?
2: Well, basically, with the roses, uh, just, you know, if you just, you didn't really give them any real soil in there when you mix, you know, when you poured all this stuff in there. So I would be a little concerned about that. I would also be a little bit concerned if you planted them at grade, they're going to, because of the potting mix and the peat moss that you put down in there, that's got a lot of air pockets in it, it's going to shrink and those air pockets are going to go away. And then it, around the roses, they're going to be a depression, and water's going to sit there, and that could be problematic. So well, I would, would say that, that would be, be one, be one of my on concerns. That. Second of all, if you're going to go grow roses, you have to have some fertilizer. But you're, we're at basically the end of the season to do any kind of fertilizing or fertilizer with nitrogen on roses because they have to go head towards dormancy. So that's, you know, I would say – just get ready next year, get some rose fertilizer, and get ready to go as soon as the, f- the foliage starts coming out. As far as cutting off the spent flowers, that's really up to you. That's an aesthetic call. It doesn't make that much difference at all. And if your Japanese maple has been in the decline for a, a period of time, um, I would say whatever, you, whatever there is right there right now, it's probably, I don't know how old it is or anything else, but it's probably just kind of at the end of its life.
15: Oh, I see. So it's like, it's like 14 years old. I've been living there 14 years now. So
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's one of the ones that have the very dissected leaf or if it's a regular standard size or anything else, but we're finding that a lot of times they, you know, their lifespan is not as long as what we think or as long as what we see in other locations. I
15: see. So what do I do about these roses? Have I did the wrong thing? Do I pull them out and put... Uh, potting uh, soil in there? No, not not potting
2: potting soil. You you should mix whatever you've put in there with the existing soil surrounding the area that you planted. So in other words, you have to have some existing soil because if this is a luxurious area that you've put down in the hole, the rose roots are going to hit that horrible soil or normal soil on the perimeter, and they're going to turn back in and stay where it's nice and easy to grow. So that's why I always tell people to mix any kind of soil amendments they're putting in the ground with the existing soil to give the plant material root systems a taste of reality.
15: Uh-huh. Okay. But I didn't do I'm. It's some of that in there, you know, you, there's no way to get all the dirt out. There's some of that, you know, because it's a very clay-type thing. Once you get down about six inches, you're in ball when you're in clay. So oh, I, I know. Had to,
2: the whole I region's that way. I had
15: to try to give it some kind of something to— Something to grab onto, I don't
2: know. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in Ellisville, so I know about the soils in West County and every place else, too. Okay. So you just have to, you know, mix it all together. It's just with a rototiller or whatever.
15: Okay. I got you.
2: Okay. Thank you, sir. Yep. And good luck with that. And Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these
1: messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks, any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I've been cutting my grass. And I've been cutting. I have zoysia. And I've been battling the weeds. And I'm finally, you know. But uh, I'm going to go pre-emergent again in the springtime for the warm season stuff. And I have not had a problem with the cool season weeds. So, in other words, if you have henbit and things like that, those are the ones that you want to put the pre-emergent down this time of year. The annual cool season weeds, henbit, chickweed, annual bluegrass. I do have some annual bluegrass, but I'm just, I've been digging the clumps out individually. But uh, there are some other things. There's rabbit foot clover. And uh, But these are ones that the seeds are really starting to germinate now. You can't even really see them. But this is why you want to put a pre-emergent down this time of year from mid to late August to try to get these cool season weeds under control. Uh, Shepherd's Purse is another one of the cool season weeds. And... Uh, so anyway, I've been cutting my grass, my Zoiza, They always say, you cut it really short. No, don't cut it really short, especially when we have a summer like this. has been so hot and dry. Longer blades keep the crown, guess what, cooler. And so it doesn't sunburn so much. So I've been cutting my, I have my mower set at like five inches. So, well, not quite five, but close. Anyway, let's go to Nancy in Melville. Hi, Nancy.
16: Hi,
7: Mike. And um, uh, just want to ask a question about that. The garden center out there in uh, Botanical Gardens, would that be, um, when you're talking about the groups and stuff that you could look up, whatever your interest is, is there anything out there that would help somebody like me who's, like, wanting to get um, better at vegetable gardening? And I could learn from that because uh, I've got, like, a, I don't know, like a 14 by 12 or or a large uh, raised bed. I didn't get any and then I um, yellow squash the skin was real tough and not taste good and I got a little bit of zucchini but I I tested the soil like you had said and um, the soil was great we didn't have to do anything to it but I'm wondering if maybe I didn't start everything a little too late and and I don't know how I just want to get more proficient so that I can garden almost year-round so I'm just trying is there a place that I could look into through the garden center out there that would help people like me that's new that want to get better
2: yeah, probably there. Probably, I don't think there is, let's say, a plant society for just vegetables. I mean, there's herbs and things like that. But if your soil's in good shape, I would think wherever you got the plant material, did you grow your plants from seed or did you grow the ones that were already started? When they were started. So, and did you get them from a, I don't want to say a reputable, but a year round garden center? Because they're going to have a tendency to take care of their plants a lot better than, let's say, a place that's only out for you know there for six months and then it shuts down.
7: Well, without naming a name, it was a grocery store.
2: <laughs> oh, <laughs> the source of your plant material may be the problem.
7: It was a higher end grocery store. Let's just say that. <laughs> so you think it was where I got them from?
2: Yes, I do. I think you that probably had a lot to do with it.
7: Okay, and I have a question: Why? On well, I tried to do the. uh Zucchini and the yellow squash from seed. And why did it say to make a mound? What's the, is there, is that important to have a mound when it says that on the packet?
2: That basically says you want to have the root system, the crown of the plant, that's where the leaves and the root system meet. You want to have it higher than the surrounding ground. So in other words, there's no chance that it's going to get too wet.
7: Oh, okay. Gotcha. Because if I'm watering, I don't want all that laying in the Right. and all that moisture. Okay. All right. I appreciate it. Have a great day and a great weekend. Yep.
2: So it's going to, you know, if your soil's in good shape and everything else, it's where your plants came from. And fertilizing, too. Now, I say, oh, fertilizing, just cosmetic. But things like crops do need to be fertilized. So that's something you got to be conscious of as far as that goes, too.
7: I didn't do that. I only fed the tomatoes with uh, Miracle Grow.
2: Well, get tomato food. get you know fertilizer specifically for for certain things because it's going to have micronutrients in it that you know just regular Miracle Grow doesn't have. Do
7: I need to mulch my vegetable garden? Uh, no. Okay. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you so much.
2: Certainly. Now let's go to Keith in Collinsville. Hi, Keith.
9: Hey. Hi there. I got a battle with Bermuda grass. Ooh. And it's been a six-year battle. Uh, when I first attacked it, I, about this time of the year, I hit it with Roundup, and then I put some cheap 12-12-12 fertilizer to try to get it to come back. Then I hit it again with Roundup, did the same thing three times. Then I burned it off. Then I t- took a shot back, and I shot back all those cotyledons or those runners up, and it came back real nice for about a year and a half. And then <clears throat> I got hit with the Bermuda grass again. So I hired a service, and uh, the neighbor had the service come out, and they have this new product called Pylex. Are you uh, do you know about Pylex? Uh,
2: not specifically, no. Is it spe- uh, is it targeting? Is it one of the herbicides that targets Bermuda grass?
9: Yes, it's, okay. uh, and uh, it, 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 it's very very expensive. Uh, they recommend doing it three times a year. It's one hundred and eighty dollars uh, per application, and it's a three year process, and they don't guarantee it. <laughs> So I've had I'm in my second year of this treatment and it, it, right now it, you know all that bermuda grass is dead and they're going to do it one more time and then I'll aerate and then overseed and uh, my question I guess is those cotyledons or the runners that you see in bermuda grass right. every junction every juncture of that cotyledon is a seed and I'm afraid that no matter what I do I'm not going to get rid of this
2: That could very well be the case. Now you're positive that it is Bermuda grass because there's a grass that mimics Bermuda grass and it's called Nimble, N I M B L E, Nimble Will. So Nimble Will is just N I M B L E W I L L. It is a very difficult herbicide or difficult weed that looks like Bermuda grass to get under control. I was at a lady's house, and she had, as far as a very specific herbicide, to get rid of that. So look at the number will online and make sure that you have that because everybody kind of assumes when it looks like your Bermuda grass, that's the only thing it can be, well, but it, there it, is something else. It's,
9: been, it's confirmed that it is Bermuda grass okay. by, by the service, and they, they said the same thing. And those runners, and, and I just sent my payment in, and I also put a piece of that, that runner in with my payment, and I said, Is this going to do? And, and I haven't heard back from him yet. <laughs> but, I mean, and I did that roundup thing, uh, and it worked, but it just comes back. Right. I mean,. Yeah, I even thought about digging up the whole yard and taking a scoop. You know, taking five inches of the soil out, but th- that stuff goes way down deep. And it's a it's a, where I live. It was a natural prairie area, so that that Bermuda grass has been in there for years. Right. And uh, my wife says, just don't look down anymore. Look up.
2: <laughs> well, that's what I would have to say. You can get a sod cutter and cut out the Bermuda grass like pieces of sod, and then leave that area just open. And then anything that starts coming up as a result of cutting the sod off, its side cutter is going to take about an inch, or so, inch and a half of the you know top of the soil off. Anything that comes up in that area, then go back after it with the herbicides.
9: Yeah. Uh, well, I just wanted to uh, wanted you to know, or if you knew anything about this Pylex, it's P Y L E X, and uh, they it, they they use an eyedropper to apply it. It's very expensive. Right. And uh, I didn't know if you had heard about Pylex.
2: I haven't heard of that one, but I, like I say, there are certain herbicides that are specifically to target, you know, things like Bermuda grass, things like nimble will, or whatever. Really difficult grasses to get under control.
9: Okay. All right. I guess I'm going to have to just start looking up.
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Or, you know, golf courses love Bermuda grass. Just put a little golf course in your backyard.
9: Well, that's what I thought, too. Why couldn't I make a hybrid, you know, like zoysia? Right. Why couldn't you, I mean, why couldn't they just make a hybrid Bermuda grass that, because it'll kill out and you don't have to cut it, a cup. you know, you'd cut it maybe three times a summer or right. something like that. Exactly. So, all right, Mike, thanks.
2: Yep. And now let's go to uh, Linda and Pacific. Hi, Linda. Hi,
7: Mike. I have two questions about my surprise lilies. Um, where the flower uh, used to be, I now see like four or five green pods at the end of the stalk right. that are a little bit bigger than the size of a pea. What are those?
2: Those are actually, in theory, seeds, but they're probably not going to be functional seed.
7: Okay. And then the second thing is um, the stalks. Can I just cut them off at ground level now, or do I need to leave them up for? So while well?
2: Oh, no, you can cut them off. As soon as, they, as soon as the flowers start fading or wilting, you can cut the stalks off. It's the leaves that have to stay. The flower stalks on any plant doesn't make any difference as far as health goes.
7: Okay, great. Well, thank you very much.
2: Certainly. And now let's go to Becky in St. Charles. Hi, Becky. Hey, how are you? Good.
17: I have a question about a white pine.
2: Okay.
4: It's generally been very healthy. We keep all the names around this. And the
18: yeah. bottom four.
2: Becky, you're going to have to give us a call back. It looks like you got dropped. Hello? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, give us a call back, Becky, and we'll put you right on the top. So let's see if we can get the CJ and Kirkwood. Hi, CJ.
12: Hi, Mike. Um, I had a landscape company come out and, and do uh, mulch and define the beds and add some beds and such. And the, I, I think they got carried away with some mulch. Um, I had some good mulch around the existing beds, but they put more mulch on it and up to the trunks of the trees and the shrubs and the hostas and everything. So I've been out uh, pulling it back from the tree trunks and, and all. But now I've got rings uh, there, and I'm wondering if um, that's a good thing. Uh, so there's like a donut of mulch on top of this crown of mulch around the trees and such. Um, and there it's also, in some places, it's almost a foot of mulch.
2: Whoa!
12: Yeah. Um,
2: you should never have around trees or shrubs any more than three to four inches.
12: Well, they put that much on top of what was already there. That's crazy. That's more. Um, so what do I do now?
2: Uh, I guess you're going to have to have a yard sale and just sell bags of mulch. <laughs> no, I mean you got you don't want it that deep because it can cause problems. Just even if you got it away from the the trunks and the stems and everything else, it could be trouble. Yeah,
12: that's what I was afraid of. Right. right. Tell me what kind of trouble?
2: Uh, it's probably fungus, mold. You know, things you know related to that. Gotcha. Because it, the mulch you know holds a lot of moisture. That's one of the benefits of mulch, but when it's too much, then it holds too much moisture, and then that could cause problems for the things that are below it, like the root systems or whatever the plant, and the stems of the hostas or whatever it is. Right.
12: Okay. All right. Um, I'll have I'll call them up and we'll have a conversation. Yeah.
2: They yeah. way they overdid you.
12: Yeah. Well, they they talked about not having enough mulch when they brought the truck here. And I'm thinking, what? Well, now I know.
2: Right.
4: Okay.
12: All right. right. Thank you.
2: Yeah, let's see if we can get back to Becky. Becky from St. Charles, how are you?
4: I'm good. How are you? Good. Good. Um, We have a 60-foot, approximately, white pine in our front yard. Um, The bottom four branches are dying, and it just seems like they're continuing to die off. We do keep the needles around the bottom of the tree, and the rest of the
3: tree looks healthy. What would cause that?
2: Old. Those branches are, excuse me, old, and they're being overshadowed by the other branches that are higher up in the tree. Okay. So, I mean, that's something that's typically, if you go into a pine forest and you look up, you're not going to see any low branches on any of the pine trees for the most part. You're going to see branches up higher in the tree on the trunk. So you're just, your tree's experiencing exactly what it should be doing.
4: Okay. And the, but the branches are probably 12 feet near, and otherwise it's just trunk. Length. Right. Okay, so, so should we just trim them off?
2: Yeah, anything that's dead, doesn't have any needles, get them cut off.
4: Okay, we were just concerned it had a, a bug or something.
2: No. So.
4: Okay, great, thank you so much.
2: Yep, I mean, you got a very mature white pine, so you've been lucky that it has gotten that big. So, But yeah, lower branches, that's exactly what can happen. Mike Miller, KM wash Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
1: This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, back
2: to the phones we go. Let's go to John in South St. Louis. Is that where we want to go? Yes. John, how are you?
19: Oh, pretty good, Mike. How about yourself? Very good. Good. Uh, Mike, uh, I've been trying to put down fertilizer in the spring and the fall. Uh, But then I I guess I heard a commercial during the program and saying that uh, it it really doesn't do a good job or it's just purely cosmetic. Uh, And I couldn't follow really the train of thought of the advertising. Uh, Is there something else that we should be putting on our lawn besides fertilizer?
12: Well, the
2: fertilizer is fine. I mean, that's, you know, kind of what we routinely do. Get specific types of fertilizer for lawn. Don't use triple twelves or things like that. But yes, core aeration every couple years, dethatching is very important too. Every couple years, kind of alternating every third year with each one, and putting some compost down again. That's to you know help your soil to make your soil healthy. Then the cosmetic quality of the fertilizer can do a much better job for it. You can't just depend upon fertilizer. To make your, you know, any kind of plant material, whether it's lawn, trees, shrubs, roses, or anything else, good.
19: Uh, I, I don't know what do you, it was. It was from a commercial. Mike, was there a uh, product that you were endorsing?
2: Well, there's a company called Roots Plus. They will come out and auger holes and you know take care of your soil and all that other stuff.
19: Okay. Okay, I just want to uh, get a better understanding. I appreciate your uh, advice.
2: Sure, and I mean Roots Plus—they are they're experts in healthy soil. They know what soil does, and you know that's what I've been you know harping about this since I worked at the botanical garden with the soils. You know, when I was in the woodland garden, it just—it's crucial to have good soil. There's no getting around
19: it. Right. No, I, I agree with you. Okay, I appreciate your advice, buddy.
2: Yep, thank you. And now let's go to Chris in McLean's Borough, Illinois. Hi, Chris. Hello. Hi.
18: Um, my question is, we have a uh, ornamental Japanese maple, and this year it is not looking as as healthy as it has before. Um. From online, just reading, they say you do not fertilize them, or I'm, I'm wondering what I need to do.
2: Uh, how old is it?
18: Well, uh, 15 years old.
2: Well, we're finding that some of the Japanese maples are starting to head downhill at about that age. So it may be an age factor, but yes, fertilizing doesn't help. I keep harping on this. You know, going out, let's say halfway out from the trunk to however far out the branches go, and some digging some small holes, and then putting some compost in those holes, or using an earth, you know, electric drill with an earth auger, backfilling those with compost, the holes you're drilling. Feed your soil. That's the best thing you can do for your plant, but it may be just an age factor as much as anything.
18: Okay. Well, I mean, it used to have these, you know, beautiful bright red leaves. And they're they're uh, an orange looking or or even green.
2: Right. So it sounds like it's on a downhill slide, but you might you know try to improve the soils to see if that's going to help. But definitely don't fertilize.
18: Okay. Um, I have one other question. Um, I have a a lilac bush, and I know that they need lots of sun. So I I put it in an area where it does get quite a bit of sun. But um, I had it, and I know it takes about seven years to find, you know, once you plant it, to get the bloom. I had two years of bloom, and now it won't bloom any longer.
2: And the leaves and everything look healthy? Yes. So I would say, are you pruning it?
18: Um, some of the, when it's the dead, I take out of it, but I know, you know, I need to let it grow so it will get its bloom.
2: Yeah. So I would say just leave it alone. If you have another year where you don't get any flowers, I'd get rid of it. Okay. So right. there's no but magic formula good. for these kind of things. And we think, yeah. well, my great grandmother had a lilac that was a hundred years old or something, but things are not all the same as they used to be.
18: Well, this actually came from uh, an, a friend of mine's grandmother, <laughs> and, I, and I had it several years, right. and I thought, well, with the transplanting, you know, they gave me a cutting, that sure. it, it takes about seven years.
2: Right. So you've it's done everything growing. just right. It's just a matter of keeping your fingers crossed, and hopefully it'll recover. If not, then you just have it as uh, lilac with just leaves and no flowers.
18: All right. Well, I know my husband says, I think it's about time you get rid of it.
2: it. (laughs) See, that's what I said, too. (laughs) Okay. All right. right. Thank you. Sure. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
1: Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: We've got about uh, 10 minutes or so, not quite 10 minutes, for the uh, Garden Hotline 10 o'clock, Investing Sense with Andy Smith and Bob Richards. 11 o'clock, the Helitech Foundation Repair Home Improvement Show with Scott Mosby. And 1 o'clock, the Rick Edelman Show. Then there's all kinds of other stuff for the rest of the day as well. Back to the phones. Jim lives in St. Charles. Hi, Jim.
16: Hi, Mike. Thanks so much for all the help that you provided everyone over the last several years, last many years. Um, I've got a mole problem. Uh, I've got two moles in my yard, one on both sides of the of the yard. And uh, I tweeted about three weeks ago with Grubex because I also know some, some grubs. But I've had lots of people tell me lots of different ways to get rid of the moles before I started putting poison pennants down or the worms or the traps. What would you suggest? What was the, what's the best way to try to get rid of these things?
2: Basically realize that the moles, their main diet is earthworms. So grub right. control does very little. That's like saying, okay, let's go to dinner, but don't have an appetizer. So you got rid of the appetizers, but the dinners are still there. So, I mean, there is no other way to get around it. I mean, there has been people that watch for the tunnels, you know, just sit in a lawn chair or whatever. And as soon as the tunnels start popping up, they go out there with, a, you know, a spade and pop them that. up out of the ground. <laughs> and, I, and,
16: that, and that's the only thing that's worked consistently for me, but that's not working this year.
2: <laughs> so, I mean, the traps, that's about the only thing that's really been proven. And it's multiple traps along the active tunnel areas. There's not too much okay. else
13: okay
16: okay uh, I thought that uh, that was probably the answer but uh, like I said the only the most successful thing I've had is push the push the uh, trails down and just stand for 20 minutes and then watch them move up but they've been too crafty for me this year they haven't <laughs> that hasn't worked
2: well probably you know the ground has been very dry so maybe the earthworms a little bit deeper so they're not making the I mean that's why they're going along the buffet line which is right on the surface
16: okay Okay. Well, thanks so much again for all the help that you provided.
2: Sure. Now let's go stay in St. Charles County, but go to St. Peter's into Kurt's Hi, Kurt.
14: Hey, Mike. Uh, Tell me, what do you think about allowing uh, ivy vines to grow on tree trunks? I don't think it hurts at all. Okay.
2: The only time it becomes problematic is when it grows out over the branches and then causes those branches not to have any leaf buds. That's when it's trouble. But you can go all over the all over the country and see some really old trees with a lot of ivy on the trunks. And it doesn't hurt the trunk whatsoever.
14: Okay, very good. I I had just heard we just moved into a piece of property that's got some uh, a clump of like three. uh, These are maple trees are rather large. They've been here for a while and there's ivy growing up the sides. And some people have been telling me, take that ivy down. It's going to kill those trees. No, it doesn't. Doesn't happen. Now, good. Okay,
2: thanks. I appreciate your time. Yeah, and like I said, only when it starts going out over the branches and prevents the branches from you know being able to do any foliage because leaves are how trees make foliage. Nutrients moisture from the root system sends it up to the leaf, and the leaf uses sun to make chlorophyll, which is food. So thanks, Kurt. And now let's go to Crestwood. Cindy, how are you today?
17: Fine. How are you? Good. Um, so I have in my front yard... A flower bed that's um, landscaped with the landscape rocks and it has two big evergreens which I want to get rid of and then remove all the rock and plant um, some new plants but my question is when I get rid of those evergreens should I have that stump and the roots removed and then can I plant new plants in that spot
2: they can grind the stump out, they cannot get the roots out unless they came in with a bobcat and dug them out.
17: Okay. Um so I should would you recommend that the stump be grinded out? Well, it's I mean it's kind of a it's it's
2: accelerates the you know let's say decomposition of the root system a little bit, but the roots, depending upon what kind of plant, how old, how healthy it was, can last for multiple years after the trunk has been ground out and after the tree has been removed.
17: So is it um, just a risk then to plant something in over that?
2: Right. So, I mean, you could have them come in, you know, take that stuff out, and then come in with a heavy-duty rototiller and see if you can tear up a bunch of the root systems, you know, that way. But still, you're taking somewhat of a chance depending upon what you're trying to grow in there.
17: Okay, and I haven't decided what to put there yet. Um, This is just in the planning process. And then um, I also have a fireleaf maple tree that's dying, so I'm going to have that removed. Um, Would you recommend getting that stump? Um, grind it
2: as well? Well, it's stump grinding. I don't know how much that actually does, to be honest. It's more of a cosmetic thing. It's more of a mental thing. Yes, it does, like I said, accelerate the you know decline of the root systems, but it's not going to make a huge amount of difference. It's not going to mean, okay, we ground out the stump, now you can plant. It's not going to happen. So, um, okay. So, um, I mean, the choice is up to you. I'm just saying it doesn't really do all that much as far as causing the root system to decline. So
17: if I didn't remove the stumps from the flower bed, I would just have to plant around them. Right. Okay.
2: And then, I mean, they're only going to grind out the stump like about, you know, eight to 10 to 12 inches. So there's still solid wood underneath that. So, I mean, it's not a, it doesn't get rid of the stump by, you know, trunk stump or anything. So thanks, Cindy. Let's go to Neil in St. Louis. Hi, Neil.
20: Hey, man. I'm so glad to get you. I, uh, I, get, I have three peach trees. One is like five years old. The other one two is three. They bear fruit this year, so Whoa. I know I'm late, huh? They already done bear fruit.
2: Yeah, you're really lucky 'cause it's just I mean usually that's not gonna happen at that young of an age.
20: You ain't uh young wait now slow down with your short wind, but I won't I know I'm late for what I'm talking for this year. They bear I get fruit. And the fruit is Oh! I need to know who I can call to make sure i start in the food, to make sure that I get rid of the worms. I got to call somebody to spray. Do you have a telephone number for somebody professional in that department. I want to spray my fruit trees for worms.
2: Okay, basically, you need to go to your favorite garden center and see who they would recommend. Since you live in the city of St. Louis, try bears. And then see who they would recommend uh, to do that. What's their name? Bears, B A Y E R S. They're on Hampton Avenue.
20: Be bad B A. Okay,
2: B A Y E R S. Thanks, Neil, and thanks to everybody for calling in. <sighs> Sorry, we kind of ran out of time. We couldn't get to everybody, but uh, this is a time of year where things are starting to transition from summer into fall. So, but you know, if you've got a problem historically with cool season weeds, the pre emergence got to go down very, very soon. Mike Miller, KMwash Garden Hotline. See you next week.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds.